0: Good morning, everybody. Um, So we are going to continue in our series through the book of Daniel. See, Brandon, this is why I wanted this. I like to lean. I'm I'm a leaner. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, we're going to continue in our our series through the book of Daniel. We have gone through the first couple of chapters already. And Brandon said something last week that I think really um, sets the tone for where we're going today. Uh, He said, if our understanding of power doesn't have room for our death, we don't understand Jesus' definition of power. Um, we are going to get into a section today where essentially these young men allow death to happen. Um, And oftentimes in our faith, we don't have a faith like that, right? We think that if I believe in Christ and I have the power of God, then I'm going to be saved and everything's going to be wonderful. But really, we need to have a faith that has the room for our death. Um, The great thing about that is that if it has room for death, then it has room for us to be saved too. But it has to be a faith that has the room that says, you know what? I just might die. I just might die in this. Or I might be saved. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that today you will move greatly, um, that you will show up. Um, Father, I pray that you will continue to empty me of myself and fill me with your Holy Spirit um, to the point of overflowing I pray today is the day where people will just hear from him. They will just hear the spirit. There will be no Kamar, just Holy Spirit. Do this, please, for your glory, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so we are now in Daniel chapter three, and the great thing is that Brandon has set a precedent for me. Um, he's established that we are now allowed to preach in Edgewood without ever reading the Bible, um, because you can have entire scripture passages and not read them at all, apparently, uh, that's what Brandon does so I'm going to do the same thing laughter <laughs> But, well, I give him a hard time. But no, what it is, is this is a story you kind of heard before. And so I'm going to summarize it. If you're not familiar with Dan chapter 3, this is the one where they talk about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, which I think is unfair because they were probably at least men, if not, you know, possibly even middle-aged. We don't know exactly when this happened, in the story of their time in captivity. Um, It could have been just a a few years from the last time we, we picked up from the dream. It could be that it's been a decade even. But they're not little boys. Like, these are... Hebrew men, okay? And and they're in this situation where Nebuchadnezzar is coming out from that dream he had, right? And and Daniel interprets the dream and he's like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna celebrate, I'm gonna make this wonderful golden statue of me. And everybody's going to have to bow down to it. And, and the chapter, as you read it, one commentary I was looking at was saying it's almost like a, a comedy sketch, kind of like maybe if you're familiar with Monty Python, like it's kind of like that because you just have these repetitions where eight whole verses are just dedicated to listing the instruments and the clothing and the officers there. So it's like over and over again, and all these people, oh, and then all these people again, and then all these clothes again, and then all these instruments again, over and over and over again. But the gist of the story is just that, that, that he builds this statue and he says, okay, everybody, when you hear the instruments, bow down to it. And these three guys, they hear the music, and they don't bow down. And there are some haters around, because there's always haters everywhere. And these haters are like, hey, we see these Jews, they're not bowing. Let's go tell the king. So they go and tell Nebuchadnezzar, and then once again, you hear this whole listing of all the instruments, they list it like four times. Oh, and then all the instruments again. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, is that true you guys didn't do this? No, we didn't do it. Well, 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 well why not? Well, because, you know, that's not what we believe. That's not what we're going to do. Well, who can save you? Who can save you from me? Who can save you from my furnace? Well, we're not even going to answer you with that one, King. It's not even worth our time. But just know we're not afraid of you. So he heats up the furnace. He gets his people to throw them in, and and the people who are taking them into the furnace, they get swept up in, and they die in the fire in the fire of the furnace, essentially. Um, but they're saved. Not just saved, like they're just walking around having a good time, right? The king's like, this is amazing this is amazing, I mean, we threw three guys in there, I, I'm a king, I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure I can count to three or four, and I feel like we only threw in three, and there's four there now, and they're like, yeah, you're right, king, and he's like, hey, come out, guys, this is awesome, I'm like, all right, it's so awesome, in fact, that not only do I want you to bow down to my image, but if you talk bad about their guy, I'm going to rip you to pieces, I'm going to make your house a trash dump, the end, that's the end of chapter three, that's the story, right, and, and it's an interesting story, and, and it's a really interesting story to have on Mother's Day of all days. Um, but what, what, I, what I find interesting about it is that there's a, a, a theme that I was seeing as I was reading through it. Because in my first, looking at the notes, I wrote down stuff like, oh, the furnace is central. But as I looked at the story, and as I meditated on it, and prayed over it, and was studying, um, I found something else was central instead. The, the furnace is there, yes, but the center thing is that this, there's this sense of, of closeness, there's this sense of belonging, this sense of, of, of accepting things the way they are, of, of grabbing onto them. And in fact, the one word I can think of that actually reminds me of, really, of, of moms. Like, my mom's here today, and I'll tell you that we are very, if you didn't know this, I come from a family that likes hugs. Um, you might not have known that about me. Um, <laughs> I grew up that way. Um, but when I think of, of, of this closeness, I think of the idea of, of a hug or an embrace. And really, as we look in Daniel 3, there's, there's a couple of things that are being embraced in this chapter the first one I want to look at um, is this idea of embracing your name now I kind of made Brandon hold off because he wanted to he wanted to talk about their names and I said don't please I want to talk about their names um, and it's because it's something that's really important to me I have a friend uh, she says that names our names are the songs our parents give us it's like wow that's poetic and beautiful like that's awesome but in, in, in truth it is When you think about your name, your name is something that your parents gave you that for a reason. I have a class I do on Monday nights uh, when school's in session, working with some immigrants here in town, and I have a a married couple, husband and wife, and they're working on getting their green cards, um, hoping to one day be citizens, and the wife was telling me a few weeks back, she said, yeah, I'm working on that, and somebody told me I should change my name so I can have a more American-sounding name. I was like, what? That's craziness. What are you talking about? I wrote down all my kids' names. I'm like, these names. You think I'm, I'm an American? My name's Kamar. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and her name is, is Ixtel. Uh, it's, a, it's an Aztec name. It's actually an important family name for her. She was telling me how every one of the girls in her family, they all have their names start with the same three letters because um, that's like their, their family thing they do. I'm like, it's a beautiful name. Don't change your name. Her husband's like, well, I should change my name. People don't like my name. And I forgot it's, I'm bad at names. I'm like, I forgot your name. What's your name? It's like, my name's Jesus. People don't like me being called Jesus. I'm like, what? We love Jesus. They got a problem with your name being Jesus? I'm like, Plus, his name wasn't even Jesus. He's like, it wasn't? I'm like, well, technically his name was Yeshua, which is kind of like the English name Joshua. So if you know anybody named Joshua, they got the same name as you. He's like, I got a Joshua at work. We got the same name. I'm like, yeah, don't change your name. That's your name. It's a beautiful part of you. You should, you should own that. You should know that. You should hold on to that. And with these three young men, what we see is that they have names that mean something. All throughout this chapter, 13 separate times we have their Babylonian name mentioned. Like I said, it's a bunch of just repetition. 13 different times it's saying these names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, names that weren't really their names. It's almost like they're trying to convince you, you need to be this person. And they're like, no, that's not who I am. I know the names that I was given. In fact, let's look at their name. The first one, Hananiah. Hananiah means God has favored. You can almost imagine his mom just just holding him, right? And just looking to her husband and saying, look at this. Look at this beautiful kid we have. Man, God really loves us. He has favored us by giving us a son like that. Or another one, Azariah. Azariah, who is what God is? I, can, I, can, I mean, I've had a few kids. I can just imagine the dad sitting there saying, like, look at this, this perfect little human thing. Like, This is amazing. Only God can do this. Who is like God? Let's name him a name like that. So that people just realize how amazing God is. Or Mishael jehovah has helped i can imagine like maybe the mom was going through a difficult labor but god helped her to pass through that or or maybe there was just a difficult season in their lives or maybe they're dealing with you know job loss or or insecurities or health but you know what god showed up and he helped us we're going to name our son to remind him and remind us that that god has helped us these are their actual names And names really do matter. And this isn't just me pulling this out of of nowhere. In fact, we see this actually in Scripture. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, I will tell you, I was telling Brandon I I was on a goal. My mission was to use the least number of Bible verses possible today. So I only have, I think, 9 or 10. So I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) That's that's good for me. So, but Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Remember a few months back, right, we were going through the book of Genesis and we covered this section. And this is the time when, when God is having Adam name, Right? Genesis chapter two, just verse 19, the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. See, see, the idea of naming something is a sign of authority. This is the authority you have over it, but also the authority that it has. This is the sphere it gets to live in. This is the life it gets to live because this is the name that it carries. Your name represents not just the authority of others over you, but the authority you carry in this world. Or here's another one for us. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 10. In, in Luke chapter 10, we have this season where, where Jesus is sending out his disciples. He says, okay, I'm going to send you out. And you're going to proclaim the gospel. And they go and they do it. And they come back like, wow, this is amazing. We, we did what Jesus said to do. And it actually worked. What a concept. Speaking at verse, uh, verse 17 here, it says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're surprised. Like, wow. Like, we use his name. He told us we can use his name. And it works. 18, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, you've got all this power. You've got all this this, this work you can do now because of the power of my name. That's great. But you should be more excited about the fact that you have a name that is being remembered in heaven. That is it's written down and recorded. Because not only does you have authority, but you also have belonging. When I think about my name, it also tells me where I come from, where I belong. What is my home? What is my family? Well, what's my name? And Jesus is saying the same is true of you. Yeah, you can do these things here because I sent you to do these things here, but you also have a name. And I record that name. And it's written somewhere very important. Rejoice in that. There's another one. Revelation chapter 2. I actually was hanging out with one of our friends, uh, Ron, and he mentioned this um, as one of the most important, exciting things to him. I was asking him about, you know, like what are, what's the most important name to you? What's the most important name you carry, the most important thing about you? And Ron actually quoted this at me. Uh, Revelation 217. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. You have a name that you likely have never heard, and it fits you perfectly. And if you were in Christ, one day you're gonna be in his presence, he's gonna give you a little stone, like here you go, you've been waiting for this. Here's your name. You're gonna have that and you're gonna hold that and you're gonna feel so much more complete than you've ever known, because you're gonna finally know, what is my name? What has God always thought of me as being? Who does he call me? How does he call for me? That's my name. You have a name and God knows your name and he has set it aside for you. It's not just about authority. It's not just about belonging, but your name also says your destiny. I mean, think about that. You are destined to receive this. You are going to be in his presence. You're going to have this stone with your name on it. So nothing anybody else calls you really matters. Those names they want to give you, no matter how much they repeat them at you and say, this is your name, that's not my name. This is your name, no, I know my name. And in fact, we know that these young men, they, they really saw it that way because when we go to Daniel chapter, chapter three again, see, I've got yeah, I got up there. Daniel chapter three, verse 16. I'm gonna to read some of it, Brandon. <laughs> Picking up at the second half of, of verse 16, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to the question. They're saying, you asked us what God, we don't need to tell you. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. It's almost like they're saying, Do you look at us? Do you not know what our names are? We have the names that say that, that who is like God. We have the names that say that He is the one who's gonna help us. Like, like, do you really think we're worried about you? We know our names, Nebuchadnezzar. Because we know our names, we can endure whatever it is you're gonna throw us at. In fact, the idea is that we must know our names if we're going to stand. They were facing a trial. They were facing death itself. And they said, but because we know what our names are, we can face that. We may have been here for God knows how long. You call us whatever you feel like calling us all the time. You have, you have given us these, these slave names, as it were, to try and put us down and put us in our place, but we know our names. And because we know them, we can stand. If we're going to stand, we need to know our names. We need to know who it is we really are. It's not just that I'm Kamar. No, I am son of the one true king. I'm not just husband or son or father or friend. No, I am a child of God. I am saved. I am in Christ Jesus. That is who I am. I am a man whose name is written in the book of life. And so whatever comes here, all right, bring it. I know my name. So the first thing we need to embrace, we need to embrace our names. But they didn't just embrace their names; they also had an embracing of their place. Brandon has been talking about this, especially last week. He talked about this idea of being involved, being where you are. So much of Christianity, unfortunately, has been about just separating ourselves from society. Right? Of, we'll just make our little safe little corner here. We'll make our own little entertainment industry. We'll make our own little bookstores. We'll make our own little community, and we'll just stay right here, and then it's safe. And while it's not bad to have Christian things, it is bad to think that my entire life should be Christian only. If I don't have non-Christian friends, I am doing something wrong. And I tell my kids that. I tell my children that. Because the truth is is that we should have non-Christian people in our lives. We should be in the place. Uh, I have this, this book I've been reading through by this guy named William Stringfellow. Um, he's a white guy who moved to Harlem during the civil rights era to practice law to say I'm going to fight for the rights of people who don't look like me because they are my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is what he says. He says, the biblical image of the church is, to be sure, that of a stranger and alien in the world. Despised by the nation, but the biblical image of the church is never one of an innocuous, isolationist, religious society cut off from the actual affairs of men and nations in the world. What William Springfellow is saying, is like, listen, we, we need to live out there. And even though we're living in this world yeah, we are going to be aliens. That's where I got it, I got it right here. We are going to be aliens, yes. We we are going to, to, to have persecution come against us. But you know what? We are still going to be in it. Because that is where God has placed us. He hasn't put us here for us to run away and hide. No, he put us here so that we can engage in it, be involved in it, be a part of it, no matter what it takes. Because that's what he did for us. Going back to Luke chapter 10... You can turn that down. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, but in the first half of Luke chapter 10, we have Jesus preparing to send them out, right? So the second half, they come back, and he's like, hey, be more happy about the names you have. But in the first half, he says, I'm going to send you there. And, and, and picking up at verse two, he says, he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You hear that verse a lot. In fact, I haven't had somebody quote that verse to me a couple of days ago. That's great. But now look at verse three. Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Well, geez, great. <laughs> that's, that's an impossible task. You're going to send us to be lambs among, whoa. well, what do you mean by that, Jesus? You don't really mean it's going to be tough like that. And then he goes on and says, so make sure that you don't, you know, don't bring a bunch of money with you. Don't bring a bunch of clothes. In fact, just leave unprepared. Don't take stuff with you. Just go. It's going to be fine. You'll be all right. You'll see. That's what he says to do. He's like, just, just go. Go to the place I'm sending. The place I'm sending you is gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. You're gonna have people who are gonna say, I don't want you around me. I don't like you. You you, you smell funny, you talk funny. I, I, who's this Jesus guy you're talking about? He's like, Yeah, go do that. Go there. That's where I'm sending you. That's the place you are to go. Another book that I've been been looking at. Um, it's by this guy, Dominic Dubois Gilliard. Let's see if it works here. Yeah. Um, and in this book, he's, he's called Subversive Witness. He says, we're going to have to make a choice to do uncomfortable things. The Spirit empowers us to make this uncomfortable and inconvenient choice. We don't have to go necessarily. Like, I, I talk about my story, and, and yes, I have to be standing here doing this. I have to be a pastor. I have to preach the God's word. How do I know that? Because I know what happens when I run from God's call. I learned the hard way. I don't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I don't. I'm going to do what God said for me to do. But the truth of the matter is that even still, I do have a choice. I can choose to just keep on running until my whole life is ruined. We can choose to be isolated from the, the world. And in fact, we can see how in so many parts of life we have chosen that as a church. We really have. I don't just mean Edgewood. I mean the people of God in America, the people of God in this world. We have chosen to not get in so many fights, to stay away from so many situations because we're like, you know what? That's just hard. They might misunderstand me. They might, they might take it the wrong way. Or maybe they won't talk to me anymore. They, maybe I'll lose my house. My kids won't have friends. I don't, I don't know if that's worth the risk. So often we sit there and we say, I, no, it can't be that hard. But the reality is, is that we have to make hard choices. The good thing is that we have the Holy Spirit in us so we can make these hard choices. We can survive these hard choices. The, the, the men we're talking about here, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them like we do. And yet they still stood. We have even more reason that we can do this, but it's going to be hard but we still should make that choice. We shouldn't shy away from it just because it's going to be hard. Because see, here's the thing. Embracing place is not about being complacent or accepting everything, but it is about being present and not distant. I think a little bit about my experience as as a parent. Um, I know it's Mother's Day, not Father's Day, but I'm not a mom. Um, But I can think about there have been times as a parent, and maybe some of you people out there can relate as parents, Where because it got hard um, and I had a tough day, I'm a little bit distant from my family, from my kids. And I use the excuse, like, well, it's hard right now. I need some me time. But that's not what we're supposed to do, is it? We're supposed to sit there and say, oh, is it hard right now? Okay, I'm leaning in. I'm going to be present in this moment, even though it's hard. Oh, what, the the culture seems like it's it's lost? Okay, I'm going to be present in the culture, even though it's hard well, I think my community doesn't understand how to walk right, then I'm gonna be present in my community even though it's hard because that's what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't mean that I say that everything they're doing is right, but it does mean that I'm gonna say no matter what you're doing, I'm right there next to you. If you're gonna do dirt, you're gonna to have to do it while I'm standing here looking at you the whole time telling you, hey, that's dirt. You know that, right? I'm not gonna just walk away from you. I'm right here with you. Embracing your place means really accepting that God put me here for a time such as this so therefore i need to be here in this time because here's the thing when we is it, ah, yeah, that's all right i don't know what's going on with that but when we embrace our place our lives become ebenezers future generations can stand on when we embrace our place our lives become ebenezers that future generations can stand on. Ebenezer stone, I don't know if you're aware of these things. In the Old Testament you have this idea of something God has done is amazing. So we're gonna put up a stone so we never forget it. That's called an Ebenezer stone. And usually the idea is that this is a stone that you, you put up to just look at the stone, right? But what I'm saying here is that we're going to have something different. It's it's not just people looking at it. People can actually build on the foundation of this stone of your life, of you standing firm in this place. And, in fact, we see that with this story. A hundred years in the future from when this story takes place in Daniel 3, uh, you've got something going on in this book called Esther. And you've got this guy, Haman, who's trying to decide, you know what, I'm going to kill off all these Jews. I don't like these people. And there's this guy, Mordecai. And you can tell Mordecai remembers this story of these three men. Because first Haman comes through town and he's like, everybody bow down to me. And Mordecai doesn't. Mordecai stands. And then Haman says, I'm going to kill all of y'all. And Mordecai says, hey, Esther, listen, something's going on. You should probably do something. But even if you don't, it doesn't matter because I know God's going to stand up and he's going to save us. A hundred years later, you have this amazing moment where the people of Israel are saved because one guy remembers the story of these three guys and he's standing on their story. This is the legacy we have the chance to leave behind, that we can actually live a life that says, I'm enduring in this place despite the season I'm living in, and then future generations can see that, and they can build on that and reach even more heights for God's glory because I was willing to stand. I was willing to actually just be in this place and serve God. But we have to make that choice. We have to choose to embrace the place. So embracing your name, embracing the place, but then... There's also embracing your furnace, this, this central thing, right? There is, there is the furnace. Um, and there are three elements to a furnace. You might not realize this, but there's basically three elements. Heat, destroy, and perfect. Because when you have a furnace, when you have this, this thing that's built that we would call a furnace, either it's going to be there to, to heat the space. You know, like earlier, it felt like we were in a furnace, right? It was getting a little bit warmer, right? Furnace produces heat. Or maybe you have a furnace to destroy, you know, like the, the older houses, they still have this in some places where they use a the furnace to burn trash, right? Because like, you know, I just need to destroy all this, this stuff, let's just burn it up. And then there's perfect. I have a friend, um, I don't know if he still does, he used to work at Logan Aluminum, um, and, and he used to work in the part that did the recycling, where they would take all the old, old cans and melt them down to purify the aluminum and then make those rolls and send them out again, right? Those are the three things that a furnace does. You have heat, makes it nice and, and hot, You got destroy, and you have perfect. And we see this, again, in scripture. I told you, not too many scriptures, just a little bit. Just a couple of them. But 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter, we have this, this time when Peter is talking about what's it going to be like when God says, all right, this is all done. Let's move on to the next thing. And in chapter 3, picking up at verse 11, it says, Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. He's saying, There's coming a day where God's like, All right, let's just put it all in the, the, the big furnace. Let's just melt it all down, heat it all up. Let's, let's reset. This, this one's done it's all going to burn away. But is that us? Or are we ones to be destroyed? Or are we ones to get heated up, as it were, in the furnace? Um, no. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see another way of talking about this day. And this is Paul talking. And what he says is that, well... Let's just pick up on verse 10. It says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. Another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on it. Pause for a second. I was reading a book this morning. Um, I, got, I read a lot of books. Brandon, he does it too. It's not just me. It's not my fault. Um, but I was reading through this one book. I've been working through it slowly. It's called The, the Dad Difference. And it's a book. That this guy wrote it. More or less, it's a love letter to his dad. You might know his dad. Um, it's the son of Crawford Lawrence. Um, he's a moderately famous uh, pastor out there, um, but his son wrote this book all about what his dad was like, and he gave this analogy of, of talking about a, a house in San Francisco, um, and how the builder built and he realized if he set a ball in one corner, it just would roll to the other side of the building. He's like, look, this is amazing. He's like, that's called bad construction, because you didn't go to the bedrock. The, the, the foundation isn't built on solid rock. Um, so I say that I say to this analogy, building, and it's important to realize that the foundation you have needs to be solid. You need to have a firm foundation. And he says that. He says, For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. We have the solid rock as our foundation. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What he's saying there is like, look, our lives are, are building on Christ, building on the solid rock, but we're building with different kinds of material. Some material won't get burned up. Some will. Some material will last and some won't. What kind of material are you building with? The the furnace is coming, but, but are you building things that will last? And the great thing is that if we are in Christ Jesus, we are building things that will last. Because we're building, as we said before, empowered by his Holy Spirit, embracing him, and we are building things with gold, silver, precious stones, platinum even. I mean, they didn't mention that, but I like to think platinum. That'd be great. And it will last. In fact, the fire won't destroy it. It'll make it even better. Fire purifies things like that. It doesn't destroy it. See, for God's people, the furnace doesn't burn, the furnace doesn't destroy, the furnace perfects. There are furnaces we have in our lives. Um, Again, I've never been a mom, but I can say from observational experience that I think it's safe to call motherhood uh, a kind of furnace. There's a lot of tough times involved, possible heat, possible destruction, especially of your house and your stuff. Um, and there's all kinds of chances for you to sit there and say, this is too much. I don't want this. Or, or maybe, maybe your job is a furnace. You've got a boss that really should be in jail, but he's not. <laughs> and you're stuck working for them day, day out. Or, or maybe your community, maybe you live in a neighborhood that's like a furnace. Because, you know, it wasn't that bad when you moved there, but man, something moved in. And it's just not safe feeling anymore. It feels like a furnace there. Every time you turn around, something bad's happening just right down the street from you. Maybe your relationships are furnaces. And and when we have these things, if you look at them, if you're honest with yourself, you have furnaces in your life. We all do. And my gut reaction is, I don't like this. Let's run. That's me. That's, that's Kamar, the human being. That's the flesh. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you enjoy being in furnaces. But I, I tend to want to run from them. But that's not what we're supposed to do. Because the truth is, is that I, I want to run from this thing, and the reality is this thing, it won't hurt me if I'm in Christ. It won't destroy me. It will only make me better. It will get rid of all that mess I shouldn't have and perfect me if I'm in it. Motherhood is a furnace that can indeed perfect you. A bad boss is a furnace that can indeed perfect you. A rough neighborhood, uh, an, an un-wonderful situation that you're living in, it can actually truly perfect you if you let God use it for his glory. But so often we think that the, the way we get out of this is that we've got to, we've got to run. And we, forget, we fail to realize the purpose of the furnace is not for us to, to find comfort, but for us to do like those men and preach Christ. The question I have for you is, is what testimony are you sharing from the furnaces of life? Because that's what it's about. These men, they went into the furnace. And from in the furnace, they declared the gospel of Jesus. They didn't have to preach anything. They just had to stand in that place and then go into that furnace, embrace the idea they're being saved. They didn't fight. They went. The furnace, it killed the men who took them there. But not them. They stood there. And in standing there, the gospel was proclaimed. What sort of testimony are you giving your furnace? Are you even doing that, or are you just complaining all the way to it, complaining in it, and complaining after it? Because that's not a testimony. Sure, God brought you to it, He brought you through it, He brought you out of it, and you came out, and and you don't f- smell like smoke and fire. But but all you're doing is complaining. All you're doing is spewing essentially sulfur from your mouth. And people, they're not getting what they're supposed to get. What sort of testimony are you sharing? When we look at verses 16 and 18 again in Daniel, what we see is their testimony was, look, we know it's for the God we serve. We're going to be all right, whether we live or die. We don't even have to answer you. Our testimony is our life. Because the secret to the furnace is he is with you in it. At first I had to say he is in it with you, and I realized, no, it's got to say he is with you in it. Because to him, it's more important that he's with you than that he's in it. That's how you survive in these furnaces. That's how you make it. It's not because you're so smart. We have some plan. You put on some special fireproof clothing. It's because Christ is with you. He is with you, and that really brings up the the, the last embracing point. Um, I got it from, from this book. I know a lot of books, but Eugene Peterson, he did the message paraphrase. Um, and this book he has here, uh, Under the Unpredictable Plan, it's actually all about being a pastor, um, looking at the book of Jonah. And he said this. He said, uh, storm is the environment in which we either lose our lives or are saved. There is no cool, safe ledge on which to perch as spectators. There are no bleachers from which to enjoy the lightning and thunder, the waves and breakers of the storm. We are in it prophet and people, sailors and saints. Nothing else matters at this point. It is life or death. Whatever else has been on the agenda is on it no longer. There is this single item, salvation or not. He's saying that when you're in the storms, when you're in the furnaces of life, all that matters is, am I saved? Yes or no? Salvation or not? That's what matters. And so the last thing that they embraced, the last thing that you need to embrace is they embrace Christ. They embrace Christ. See, everything that I've been saying today is pretty much meaningless and worthless for you if you don't embrace Christ. I'll be honest with you. If you don't have Christ, I have no hope for you. And I have no hope to offer you. I just don't have it. I can give you all kinds of advice and there's no hope outside of him. You've got to embrace Christ. And in embracing Christ, you can actually make it through the storms. Uh, Luke 20 Luke 20 has my, my last little bit here. But in this section, Jesus is being challenged, and, and he gives them this wonderful par- parable about the vineyard. Um, and he says that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a, there's a vineyard. And, and in this vineyard, uh, there's a, a vineyard planted, and people rent it out, and it's great. And, and then he sends, the, the, the king sends his people to collect his rent. And they say, we don't want to pay rent. They beat them up. Sends more people. They beat them up. Sends more people. They beat them up. He sends his son. They say, ah, oh, we found the son. Quick, let's kill him. He says, what do you think the king's going to do? Like, oh, he's going he's to come and destroy those people. He's like, that's you all, because you're not hearing what I'm saying. They're like, oh, it won't be like that. And picking up at 17, he looked at them and he said, then what is the meaning of this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will shatter him. See, what we were seeing there in Second Peter, we're seeing there in Revelation, what we're seeing in Daniel, is the truth is that you have to accept Christ if you're going to make it you there without embracing christ there's no way you can embrace the furnace because you will be destroyed there's no way you can embrace the place because what's good about being in a wicked horrible messed up place there's no need to worry about embracing your name because you don't have a name worth embracing outside of christ it all starts with embracing christ you must embrace him and i know people say well i embrace christ i'm a christian i go to church just ask yourself if you embraced your mom the way you embrace christ would she call that a proper hug because that's what so much of us are doing. We're, we're saying we're embracing Christ, but we keep him at, at arm's length. We never really embrace him. We say, well, he's useful to me. Yeah, I read my word, but you know what? I don't want to go and talk about him to other people. Why? Well, because, you know, that's just awkward and uncomfortable. No. Embrace him. Draw him in close to you as he tries to draw you in close to him. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be your everything. You have to embrace him. I have experienced time and time again what it is to go and try and hug one of my kids and their arms are just limp and they're like, "Yeah, I'm just there, Dad." I'm like, "Give me a hug." Ugh. It's like, "But I love you. I gave you your name. I gave you your home. Give me a hug." Ugh. Is that your faith? Is that your relationship with Christ? A weak, limp-armed hug? Because what we see with these young men is that they embraced Christ. They embraced the furnace. They embraced their place. They embraced their name. But it all started with embracing Christ. And see, that's the thing, is that we need to be, is it working? Yeah, there we go. We need to be an embracing people. I know it's a little comical how much I like to hug people. I I get it. And I'm trying to get better at respecting personal space sometimes. But you need to know where that comes from. Again, I grew up in a family where that's what home was like for me. To me, that's, that's letting you know that I love you. How do you know I love you? Because I'm willing to embrace you. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not ashamed of you. It doesn't matter what you look like or, or if you even smell that day. Whatever. I'm going to embrace you. Because we're supposed to be an embracing people. We are to be and embracing people, let's pray. God, I pray that somehow today I, I was able to do you justice. I, I, am not, I, I am not qualified for this job. There is no way any human being could ever be qualified for the task of preaching your word. It's impossible. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit showed up today Speaking of Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do your work in the lives of people today, that if anybody is here and they have not embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior, or if they have, but they're not actually embracing him daily as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Spirit, that that you will do your work in their hearts, in their lives, in their minds, and you will make them an embracing people who will grab onto Christ with everything. God, if there's somebody who's going through a furnace right now in their lives, I pray that you will give them the power in your spirit to embrace that furnace. That you will give us the power to embrace the place you have put us in. You will give us the ability to embrace the names that you have given us, even though we don't yet know them. Embrace them because we know that they come from you, the one who made us and loves us. Father, be glorified in us as we are an embracing people, please. Not that Edgewood may grow, not that we'll have nice stuff, not so that America will be saved from moral decline. No, do this for your glory, please, God. Do this because you love us and we love you. May we be an embracing people for your glory, please. In your son's name we pray, amen.